Almost half of people living in Toronto are immigrants. This means that many people in the city have roots in another country and another culture. And as Toronto and Canada continues to grow, this will be the case for many folks across the country. For immigrants and the generations that follow them, traveling home can be a special experience. When I went to the Netherlands, the country that my Oma and Opa immigrated from in the 1950s, I was overwhelmed with a feeling that I haven't felt traveling anywhere else. There was a sense of familiarity because of the environment my parents fostered at home. In the Netherlands, Dutch words were familiar, the foods were familiar, the traditions were familiar. And of course, I was welcomed by many relatives who knew me, my mom, my grandparents, and they were able to share stories with me about my family and their history in the Netherlands. Traveling back to the Netherlands is always an idyllic experience for me, but for others, there's a range of emotion, learning, and conflicted feelings when traveling back to a place that their parents, grandparents, or generations even further behind fled or left by choice. Today, we're going to unpack what it means to travel home with Leah from the Ticket to Anywhere podcast. Leah is a slow traveler who has lived, worked, and taught throughout South America and Australia. This is Alpaca My Bags, the responsible travel podcast, here to help you travel in a way that's better for you and for the planet. I'm Erin Hines, travel writer, accompanied as always by my producer, Katie Lohr. Okay, but first, Katie, I know you have some thoughts on what's been going on over in the TikTok sphere. Can you spill? Yes. So if you follow us on social media, you'll probably know that we post responsible travel content, stuff that matches with our show, stuff that we've learned on our show, just stuff that is complementary to this podcast. What has been going on on all the social media platforms, mainly on TikTok and Instagram, is that I and you have both been noticing that there is a lot of offense being taken to our content, a lot of passive aggressive replies to responsible travel tips. For example, on one post that we made about planes carbon emissions, someone was like, okay, well, I'll just never fly again. And then on another Instagram post that we did, it was a reel, we listed out all these different ways that travel privilege exists and all the different kinds of it. And we got a lot of comments on that one that were not stoked about this content, including comments like, this was the biggest nobody asked for it video I've ever wasted my time on. And why do you think this is, Erin? Why do you think people are getting so riled up about our content? <laughs> I have stats to unpack why, but I'm just like, curious about your opinion. <laughs> I just have to say, sometimes I'm scared to open our Instagram. It's funny because when I posted the travel privilege one, I, I knew. And the second I opened up Instagram, like a couple of hours later, I was like, oh, no. I will say, like I'll add, we've had a lot of comments on that content, too, of people being like, thank you for putting this out there. This is so important. People are happy we're talking about this stuff, but it just seems to be like, both ends of the spectrum uh, are really commenting on our content, which is people that are totally offended and then people who really love this stuff. It's funny that I don't really, we don't really notice too many com comments from people that are like, I never knew this or like, 
this is new for me kind of thing, which is like an interesting dynamic. But I mean, to go back to your original question, why do I think this is? I think that, first of all, the concept of anything being responsible isn't very fun. So I get that. <laughs> responsible is not a very sexy word. We'll be it's honest not. about that. But I think it's also like, and I've noticed this actually in discussions I've had with people about privilege, not just in the context of travel, but like, especially when I was doing like my feminist work at York University, people are really uncomfortable with talking about privilege, especially when they have it. And I understand that because I don't know, you're born with it, you feel like you can't change anything about it. And so people just feel like personally offended about something that they shouldn't feel offended about. Like, it's really hard to explain to people like this isn't about you as an individual, necessarily, it's about like a system that we need to change. But yeah, I do find like anything related to privilege tends to set people off. And I just think it's because it's like, I don't even know. Don't worry, I have stats to tell you about. You do? So okay. We'll unpack Like, it. why so, are people offended? I don't know. Okay. Let me tell you, okay? okay I did a bit me. of digging. <laughs> so it's funny because typically the narrative is that people like us, who I would consider more socially conscious people, people normally label people like us the snowflakes, but in actuality, everyone is offended these days. On a recent survey that I read about, actually only a third of Americans describe themselves as quote unquote politically correct. So only a third of people are really comfortable considering that they are maybe privileged. <laughs> um, hold on, hold on. Can I just tell you something that I do that people hate? Yes. <laughs> I love asking men if they are a feminist. That's the ultimate question. That's like how you know. That's how you yes. know what kind of man they are. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. So in 2019, 81% of Americans in a survey of 13,000 people felt that people are too offended these days. So everyone thinks that everyone's too offended, <laughs> regardless of what spectrum, political spectrum are, you're on, regardless of anything. So I read up on why experts think that people are more easily offended these days, um, because I feel like over the last maybe, I don't know, maybe since 2016, since a certain someone normalized uh, bad rhetoric, Erin just rolled her eyes. I feel like obviously there's a lot more conversations around free speech, yada, yada, yada. And there's a lot of bad things happening in our world. So here's what some of the main reasons that stood out to me were why people are getting so offended these days. And I think that apply to our content. So people have more anxiety. People have more guilt People have more insecurities and more past traumas that they are comparing today to. So what are your initial thoughts on this? I mean, I have thoughts on a lot of these reasons, but what do you what stood out to you? My initial thought is just in the context of the podcast, but you and I have always debated like what to call our po- like what our podcast is about. And there were many debates about like, do we call it ethical travel, responsible travel? Do we not call it anything at all like related to, do we just call it a travel podcast? I don't know. And our debate about this was because I think that using terms like responsible and ethical can make people feel like they're doing something wrong. It's hard to make content about this that doesn't come off as preachy. And we are hyper aware of this and like, That's why I try to always emphasize, like, I am not perfect and I'm learning. Like, this podcast, like, for both of us is just about learning, about being curious about, like, how to travel in a better way. 
I think on that note, for me, the big theme here was around guilt and feeling like a bad person. And I, I think that's where the worry that we have about coming across as preachy comes from, because like, let's be real. I, I personally think that a lot of these comments that get left that are deeply offended is because they, in a sense, feel guilty for not maybe traveling in a way that we're suggesting or feeling like they never traveled that way and therefore they've done harm on our planet or on people and that kind of thing. And that's something that's like hard to come to terms with. And we're not even saying on on this content that we're putting out that there is a right way or a wrong way to do things. We're saying that there's a more conscious way to do things, with especially with the travel privilege Instagram reel coming to terms with privilege is something that's still difficult for them and makes them feel like a bad person because of the history that's behind all of these privileges that people have. Actually, I do think that part of the problem is that it's really hard to make it clear that like the undertone of criticism isn't against individual people. It's typically against a system. I mean, I encountered this all the time, like in my feminist studies work, like People take it personally when you talk about the patriarchy, but the the point is that the patriarchy is not about individual people. It's about a collective and about a system. The problem is that system can't change unless people get on board at an individual level. And I think that's part of like the nuance of responsible tourism. It's like individual people can do a lot, like mainly make this a conversation, but the real work that needs to be done, and we've said this time and time again, is like within the industry itself. So it's kind of more about like encouraging people to build up a voice so that we can influence the industry itself. But it's just hard, like, and I've commented to people this on TikTok and on Instagram, like when people seem offended that with a 15 second video, it's really hard to include like the nuance of a topic. It's really, really hard. And usually what we're just trying to do is like hook people and get people interested so that they'll explore more. I feel like anxiety is a big piece too, right? Because there's a lot of things that people have anxieties around, especially when it comes to responsible travel and sustainability and climate change. So I, there's no one answer for how to travel in a more sustainable way other than just maybe don't travel ever at all. And obviously, that's where people jump to, right? And that one person that I explained, they're like, well, what else am I supposed to do? Just never travel again? Like, And there's all this anxiety around it and guilt and all of that. All of those feelings, I feel like, just are so hyper part of our conversations in travel now that are important for people to talk about because we can't continue traveling the way that we have been for a long time. I mean, for us, like, I'll clarify the purpose of our responsible content, like for me, which is that with more information comes more understanding. And when lots of people have more understanding, you can make choices that are better for everyone. Mm -hmm. The goal is definitely not to make people feel guilty about the fact that they rode an elephant 10 years ago. <laughs> and maybe you did shoot a rocket launcher in Cambodia. And that's <laughs> something that we can talk about in private. <laughs> Well, before we dive into heritage tourism, I wanted to tell you that we have a shared love of coffee. And 
it's funny because my partner Luke doesn't drink coffee at all and like does not understand how I can't function in the morning unless I have it. So when we travel, it's like always a thing because the first thing in the morning, it's like, okay, Aaron has to have coffee and not just yes. coffee, but like good coffee. Yes. And so it's always a struggle. But yeah, I was thinking about the most interesting coffee I ever had and it was probably in Vietnam because I had egg coffee. Um, which is a specialty in Hanoi. So they make it with egg yolks, sugar, and condensed milk. And it sounds kind of gross. Like, I I don't know about you, but eggs kind of psychologically freak me out. But I still tried this coffee and I really liked it. Like the egg made like a nice um, texture for the coffee. Oh, I bet. Maybe like creamy and then it has your protein too. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So I know you love coffee too. And I wanted to ask what the best coffee you've had on your travels was. Oh my gosh. You know, I think for me, I equate coffee and cafes with like comfort, relaxing in a cafe or taking in the view, taking in what's going on around you, kind of immersing yourself in the culture for just a few minutes while you're having that cup. So it's hard to say some of the best coffee that I've had. Some of those memorable coffees, I think, actually, one of them was in... um Austin, Texas, because they do this thing called, there's a, there's a cafe out there. I can't remember. I think it has a seven in the name. I'm so sorry. I can't remember. It's called like a sidecar. So they serve the latte or the cappuccino, but they also add an extra shot on the side so you can taste the espresso in its pure form for like $4. And I'm like, that's brilliant. And why is it so inexpensive? (laughs) Okay. I will actually name drop a cafe that's in our neighborhood here in Toronto because they do something kind of special as well. Okay. It's called Voodoo Child. So if ever you're in Toronto, check out Voodoo Child. Because when they serve an espresso, just like a straight espresso shot, I love it because they serve it on this sort of wooden platter and you get your shot, but then you also get a tiny glass of uh, bubbly water. And it's just a nice little like feature of the, the serving that I like. I think that's a thing now, isn't it? Like adding sparkling water to coffee I don't know I saw TikTok on it or something yeah (laughs) (laughs) um another last thing another coffee that I loved that actually warmed my heart was like an iced like a Vietnamese type coffee but I had it in Thailand and it was my last day of being in Thailand I was staying at Brickhouse Hostel I walked literally down the block to go to the first like mom and pop restaurant right there. And there was a coffee shop inside of it too. I don't even remember the name of it, but because I was like, yes, supporting local business, this place looks like it's popping because there were only Thai people there. There weren't any expats or foreigners there. I was like, okay, this is very clearly popular. And they made honestly one of the best Vietnamese coffees I'd ever had. So I was like, oh, I'm going to bookmark this place and come back here anytime. Yeah. It's close to Brickhouse Hostel in Chiang Mai. Noting that. Okay, so to get into our chat about what it means to travel home, I wanted to start by asking you about what the word home means to you, because I feel like there's a really literal sense to the word, like my home is this apartment that I live in, in Toronto, but there's also a more abstract um, word for home, I think, which to me is kind of like a feeling, and it's a little more transient, I would say. I didn't grow up in Toronto. In my eight years living here, it's definitely become my home. But it's funny because I don't think of Toronto as my only home. I feel really at home in Aurelia, which is where my parents live. It's a little town north of Toronto. And I also feel like a bit of my home is in the Netherlands, just because that's where my heritage is from. And I've also spent time living there. 
So that's sort of my lowdown on my thoughts on the word home. And I wanted to ask when you think of home, what do you think of? First off, I love that you have several different homes. That means, you know, you've made yourself comfortable and felt loved in multiple places in the world. So that's really cool. But for me, I really do think Los Angeles as a whole is home. Is home. Like Southern California is home. I was born raised and even educated here and in between every travel stint I come back to LA so I mean people have a lot of things to say (laughs) to say about LA but I love it for its own reasons and I do think it's easier you know if you're a native you you know the ins and outs of it everywhere I've lived for an extended period of time so that includes Argentina Peru Colombia and Australia I do consider those home as well I mean I was there for either only a few months to a little over a year, but those places all definitely have a chunk of my heart. So my parents are from the Philippines. They immigrated from the Philippines to the United States. So I don't actually, I'm first generation Filipino American. I don't actually consider the Philippines home. And after my parents, it's been almost 45 years since they've lived in the Philippines. So I don't think they consider it home either, but one day I would love to, you know, either become so immersed in the Philippines, keep traveling back there or buy property there to the point where I can actually call it home. I am proud of the fact that it is where my parents are from, but I don't think I can technically call it a home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to get into that a bit more because I, I kind of feel the same way about the Netherlands. And I'm actually like curious about the fact that you say your parents might not even think of the Philippines as home in the same way anymore. And I guess when I think to my own experience, a lot of people are shocked when I, I don't identify much with the city that I grew up in. And it's just because I never liked it that much. And I left years ago. But I always thought if you had a home in another country that you would always still feel that connection to it, which I'm sure they do, but maybe not feeling it as though it's home. I don't know. That's curious to me. Yeah. It's so interesting because they came at, like my dad joined the Navy, the U.S. Navy, and they were only taking a bunch of select Filipinos to come over from the Philippines to the U.S. So he was kind of, I guess, one of the chosen ones. And that was his ticket in the 70s to get out of the Philippines when a lot of Southeast Asians countries were going through political warfare, uh, civil unrest and whatnot. So that was kind of his ticket out. And even when they came, they actually met in the U.S. They didn't meet in the Philippines, my parents. And when they got here, they actually both gave up their Philippine citizenship. So to me, it was like all these things that happened in their lives that like really, I'm like, wow, you really didn't want to be there anymore. You got out, you brought your whole family to the U.S., you gave up your citizenship, you found jobs here immediately, bought housing here five, ten years later. It's so interesting. Home, I think, for them is definitely California now. I get that. You know, my grandparents did the same thing when they came, and I, because I've always sort of begrudgingly been like, why don't I have Dutch citizenship? Right. And my mom has always said, oh, it's because your grandparents gave up their passports <sighs> when they came because they really wanted to commit to being Canadian. But also, I just have to go back to your comment about loving Southern California and LA because I have the same thing with Toronto where a lot of people in Ontario kind of hate on Toronto. Every time I've gone traveling for an extended period of time, 
I can think and remember the feeling of coming back to the city and just feeling this like warmth as I like go back into the center of Toronto because I just like there's just something I love about this city so much. I think people hate on big cities, Erin, to be honest. Like I can't tell you even on my travels, people hate. It doesn't matter if the big city is in Africa, South America, Europe. It could be the best big city and there will still be a group of people that hate on it so Yeah, it's so true. (laughs) So I was curious about how many Canadians are third gen, which is what I am. My grandparents immigrated here, so they were first gen. My mom was born in Canada as second gen, and then I came along. So according to Statistics Canada, as of 2018, 60% of Canadians are third gen or more, and the other 40% are first or second gen. And I was even more surprised by that. I thought the figure of 40% first and second gen was interesting because that's almost half of our population that has very recent ties to another country, culture, or home. So I know that your motherland is the Philippines. Could you tell us a bit about your familial connection to the Philippines and how that connection has influenced your life growing up in the U.S.? Yeah, so my mother has seven other, sorry, six other siblings, and they came over here in pairs along with their parents. And that was in the early 70s. And now all of my mother's side resides in Southern California. It's crazy. We're all within like a two-hour radius of each other. So it's awesome. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, it's really (laughs) nice. And then my father's side, yeah, like I said, he made the cut into the U.S. Navy as one of few Filipinos. And then he was able to bring his family over one at a time. And he's the oldest of four siblings, so he brought them and his parents over. And then my parents actually didn't meet. They met in LA. They didn't meet in the Philippines. So one of my aunties on my dad's side moved. uh, They live in Montreal, actually. So yeah, they're Canadian because, you know, it's interesting, Erin. They went to Canada because Canada would get them jobs and citizenship 10 years faster than the U.S. could. Oh, honestly, I think that's still true because I think you can get citizenship here faster. (laughs) America, it's hard. It's hard to get citizenship there. Yeah. And so honestly, all I have in the Philippines as far as extended family is cousins of cousins. My stepmom's whole entire side of the family is still there. She's the only one that came to America actually back in like the 70s. So as far as a lot of like immediate family and first cousins, most of them are in the U.S. and Canada. Filipinos, we're this kind of culture where everyone's a cousin, everyone's an auntie, everyone's an uncle. So when I go back, it's like these people aren't technically like my blood, but it feels like they are. (laughs) I get that because actually like all the family I have in the Netherlands now are pretty like distant family, like cousins of cousins and such. But for some reason, the connections between my family here and them are very tight. And I wonder if it has to do with like the distance thing that you just maintain that connection. So I know that growing up in my house with my parents, uh, there was a lot of Dutch language and food and traditions that were part of my daily life. And my mom definitely put a lot of effort into teaching my siblings and I about the country that her parents had come from. It was very clear that my mom had a lot of love for the Netherlands and wanted us to be raised with that same love. So that heritage was definitely part of my identity growing up. And I would say it still is. 
how did your Filipino heritage factor into your cultural or national identity growing up? Like, did you feel Filipino in your day-to-day home life? So this is an interesting question because I think in retrospect, I would say no, which is kind of crazy considering, you know, I'm a first-gen Filipina, but I'll tell you why. My parents split when I was very, very young. And my mother remarried a Caucasian white man, my stepfather, who I love very, very much. And so I essentially grew up in a half like Caucasian household. So there's only one parent implementing all the traditions, all the language, which I don't speak any Tagalog. I barely understand it. I can understand if there's context clues, right? So I feel like the culture is really lost on me and my siblings, to be honest. And To add to that, I grew up in a predominantly white town. (laughs) So a lot of culture shock came to me when I moved down to Long Beach and went to Long Beach State for college. And it was like, wow, so many other types of Asians in the world. Like, this is actually embarrassing to admit, but like, I'm not afraid to admit it. This is my reality. Like, I was so blinded to, I guess, the diversity growing up. Like, I, I knew, obviously, I'm like, I look very different, but the traditions that we kept in my family were pretty subtle. And to us, because we were still children and this, you know, it was normal to just take your shoes off in your house. Also, why are you wearing shoes in the house? Shoes are dirty. (laughs) Little things like that, that we're just like, this is normal. Like, why doesn't everyone take their shoes off in the house? Or like how we have like a special greeting in the Philippines as a sign of respect. You like take your elder's hand and you like put it on your forehead and it's like a sign of respect. And so We did that growing up. We said hi and bye to everyone in the room. You know, we ate the lechon, like the fried pig roast for every holiday, every occasion. So small, kind of almost like non-noticeable traditions. And then when I became an adult and started realizing that I missed out on a lot of my Filipino culture growing up, there's no one to blame for it. Like my mom literally came from (laughs) the Philippines and was trying to like survive, right, and provide for a family. So she wasn't really thinking, she's like, just raise them to be good humans. Like who care? You know, it's hard to like, kind of keep if she moved here, it's like, how is she expected to kind of keep the traditions of like, where she came from, if she was trying to leave, and she left, you know, I talked to her about it every once in a while. But now as an adult, I kind of go back on my own and figure out like what I've been missing, what what could I have grown up in as far as like, Filipino culture. But also, I feel like there is a lot of pressure. I don't know if there's a difference between Canada and the US, but I think there's a lot of pressure to assimilate when you move to a new country. And like, I know in some households that translates to not wanting to pass down the traditions because there's a thought that like it'll make it easier for the next generation if they grow up like fully immersed in like American or Canadian culture. Well, in the Philippines, it's interesting because English is a national language. So first and foremost, the fact that like a lot of first generations don't speak Tagalog or they only understand it or they only understand very little is because because of like previous colonization in the Philippines, like they've been speaking English there for like 120 years. Wow. I know. I feel like it's kind of crazy because it's if you meet Filipinos, they're kind of the fastest to assimilate into a Western or North American culture, if you will. We already speak a lot, a ton of English there. It's, it's interesting. I just feel like when you come to the U.S., it's like, okay, now we can just finish the assimilation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I actually didn't know that. Like, I haven't been to the Philippines, so I didn't know that English was such a dominant language there. Yeah. It's most people speak it, actually, um, except maybe like the much older generations. Yeah. 
I also just have to go back to your comment about taking shoes off because it <laughs> took me a second to register that because I was like, what? You are supposed to take your shoes off when you go in the house. Because that's you. Canadian, I guess. <laughs> like that, in Canada, you do that. Oh, yeah. Like you never keep your shoes on. That's amazing. But I didn't know in the US that you are supposed to keep them on. You are? I think it's like the media. No, the media, you know, always like the movies, people were always <laughs> walking around with their shoes on. Oh, it's true. They do yeah. in movies. They do. If you come into a Canadian house, you take your shoes off. That is a cool cultural aspect that I didn't know about Canada. Honestly, it's probably because of the weather, right? That's true. You'd be trekking in like ice, whatever's melting, whatnot. <laughs> Katie, do you know what you would absolutely need if you went traveling to Denmark to visit your family? I sure do. Travel insurance. Yes, travel insurance is a must for whenever you travel and regardless of why you're traveling. That's why I always get World Nomads insurance. World Nomads has simple and flexible insurance policies that cover travelers from over 100 countries with medical and evacuation coverage, 24-7 emergency assistance, and coverage for a huge range of adventurous activities. If anything goes wrong on your travels, World Nomads will be there to provide emergency assistance so you can carry on with your trip. Benefits, limits, conditions, and exclusions apply. Be sure to read your policy wording. Learn more and get your travel insurance quote at worldnomads.com. The link is in our show notes. So I know, especially from talking to other people that we've had on I'll Pack My Bags, that identifying with a heritage outside of the country you're born into can also complicate how you feel about the place that you were born and sorry, I think I said Filipino before. Is the correct way Filipina? I think if you're if you're referring to the culture, Filipino is fine. I think if you're referring to me, you could say Filipina, but I'm not offended if you say Filipino. Okay. So could you describe how your I don't I still don't know which way to go. Filipina identity <laughs> interacts with or impacts your American identity or like how they're connected or interconnected. I mean, growing up, it fused barely. And I feel that as an adult, I'm able to consciously weave it into my identity now. Even though I've been, I was born and raised here, it's been, you know, 30 plus years. So now I try to fuse it more so into my life by purposely learning about it, trying to work through all the generational trauma, um, work through all the cultural nuances and take what I can and what I love and infuse it into my everyday life. And maybe if I decide to start a family of my own one day, hopefully like pass those traditions on because I do feel like because with the loss of the language, the fact that my brother and sisters are here, like we've, we've lost a lot of it just by being born here and not speaking the language. And I don't want that to stop with just us. So I have a new baby niece and I'm like okay she's a quarter Filipina I'm like that's enough we're gonna get you integrated into this culture <laughs> yeah. yeah so it's much easier to to kind of weave like my Filipino identity as an adult as a kid I didn't you know I wasn't raising myself it was my mother raising me so I just went by whatever she wanted our lives to be like and now I can actually purposely infuse my life with it so are there things that you're doing like actively to infuse it back in? 
I read about it a lot. <laughs> um, there's even a couple groups that I've joined, like even something as simple as like a Filipino cooking group, just to like keep updated on the recipes. I bought my niece a little like first Filipino words book. And I'm not even kidding. It's so funny. Like in a year or two, she'll be learning, but I will too. Tiny little things like hanging around more Filipinos and noticing that, okay, these are the tra traditions and things that we had this similar growing up, just going out and, and finding whatever I can do, you know, supporting Filipino business, of course. So when I was 16, uh, my parents put me on a plane to the Netherlands all by myself to go and meet my extended family, which actually is kind of, kind of funny to think about now because like I had never met these people. <laughs> A lot of them <laughs> and my parents just put me on a plane and they were like they'll get you from the airport <laughs> I had been taught so much about the Netherlands and the culture and so finally being there I just remember it feeling weirdly familiar but also foreign at the same time I'm not fluent in Dutch but I I recognize enough of it that I could like understand some of the signs and read some labels and pick up little bits of conversation. And I could recognize foods and brands, but I couldn't really like participate because I didn't have enough of the knowledge to be able to. It's a weird experience. So I was hoping you could tell us a bit about your first trip to the Philippines, how the trip came about and then how it felt for you going for the first time. For years and years, I was telling my parents, all right, let's go because I really wanted to go with them. I'm like, it doesn't make sense for me to visit your homeland without you. I want you to be there, you know, and, and show me everything, how you grew up and what you experienced and you can teach me things. And for years, it was always one excuse or another. <laughs> so I finally told my father, I was like, hey, and actually my my biological father. He goes to the Philippines probably every couple of years. My mom has him back in almost 45 years. But I finally told him, I was like, dad, um, I'm just going to go. And this was like end of 2019. I was like, dad, January 2020, I'm going to go. I booked the ticket. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we know where this is going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he's like, he's like, oh, okay. Okay, well, actually, I'm already going to be there. How about you? And then he starts rattling off all these plans. He's like, meet us at this wedding in Bacolod. I'll pay for your flights, buy a dress. I'll reimburse you for your dress. And we're going to go here, here, here. And I was like, whoa, all of a sudden, like, I actually make a move and you have all these plans already. So <laughs> I was really excited because I, I was like, you know what? I don't know what tomorrow or next week or the next month is going to be like back in 2020. I said this. So I was like, I'm going to go now because... If I die tomorrow, at least I did this thing today. So I'm like, I'm just going to go. I'm tired of waiting for my parents because every year it's going to be the same. No, 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 I can't go for whatever reason. So I end up going middle of January. I spend time there traveling alone, which was fantastic, meeting other Filipinos, but also other foreigners, which I still love to do. And then I was able to spend half the time with my dad, my stepmom, and her entire extended family out there. And it was just like a, it was really like a homecoming. It was incredible. It was like what my life was growing up, but like amplified. Everyone was just like loud and loving and trying to feed you all the time. <laughs> and then we went out to like the provinces, which is like the rural areas. And it was raw. Like there was no Wi-Fi in some of the towns we went to. There were just beautiful lakes and lagoons. And we we're riding around on motorbikes and sandals. Like it's just... 
This is not life back in the big cities of LA and Toronto. It was very like freeing. Yeah. Did it feel kind of, it's been like this every time I've gone to the Netherlands since, but every time I go, even family members that have never met me, but just know of me, I always feel this warmness because even if we can't speak the same language, people are just so welcoming and they just are like happy that someone from their extended family has come back to the original country. Did you have that same feeling? (laughs) Oh, yes. It was almost like, oh my gosh, they wanted to treat me kind of like a celebrity. I don't know. Sometimes Filipinos (laughs) have this fascination with like the US. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In a weird way, like our pop culture, right? It's, but it's, I mean, if you ever go there, it's seriously, Aaron, like infused into so many, so much Filipino culture that it's like almost hard to tell them apart, right? But yeah. they really gave me the best love and treatment and took me out and make sure I was comfortable. So, you know, I did my best to like pay my respects and pay wherever I could and ask a lot of questions and, really spend time getting to know them and really know like the traditions that they have growing up as a Filipino in the Philippines because I'm like Mm -hmm. that's so different for me definitely felt the love every island that I went to just like you did and I think family units like I was when I was listening to your story like family units are just very proud of their families right I think that if you grow up second or third gen or first gen with cultural traditions from your motherland country, you can kind of build up an idea of what the home country is like. It's funny, like I really thought that I wouldn't be culture shocked living there. And I was like even the famous Dutch directness. Have you heard of this? Oh, yeah. Yeah, very direct. And I lived with three Dutch girls and... It's very Canadian to be very emotional and sensitive to the way that people talk. (laughs) We're very passive communicators and Dutch people are the opposite. And so (laughs) I would like always have my feelings hurt because they would be very direct about things about the household, right? I would go into the, the kitchen and say, hey, Luke, do you mind doing the dishes? Where in the Netherlands, like my roommate would be like, you didn't do the dishes. Or the, yeah, or not even you didn't do them. Just be like, hey, do the dishes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <Right>? yeah. <laughs> I get that. <laughs> and it was hard to adjust to that. So little things like that. It was kind of funny. It impacted me more than I thought it would. People a lot of the times think you get to skip the culture shock in Europe, but it's not always the case. So I know now, like, I definitely had preconceived ideas of the Netherlands before I went there that were, like, simply based off of what my mom had taught me and the cultural things we did at home. So I'm curious if being in the Philippines compared to how you'd imagined it or what you knew of it, like, how did it match up with what you were expecting? It is interesting because thinking back on it now, like, throughout this whole conversation, very tiny things that I'm noticing are that I used to do that they still do in the Philippines. But then my life kind of morphed into more of like a similar, you know, into the American everyday culture. Like, for example, I'll give you a small example. In the shower or in the tub, you because you don't want to just let the water run, like the Philippines sometimes doesn't have the infrastructure in a lot of places, just let the water run because that's gallons per minute, right? And that's they don't have like the systems for that. So we use a literally a bucket called a tabo 
and it's literally just a bucket that you <laughs> wash yourself with. So you take the water, put it in a big ass bucket, and then you just like drench yourself with it. And that's how you rinse yourself out. And then um, my mom used to collect like the the buckets from that the casinos used to give out with their coins. And she used to wash it, rinse it out, and then put it in the shower for us to use. But oh. in the Philippines, and then, yeah, it's so funny. And But we stopped doing that, you know, when we became, I don't know, we got into like junior high or high school and like, you don't need this anymore. And then the Philippines, like they still shower that way as a way to preserve water. A lot of things that I used to do when I was younger, like they're still doing in the Philippines for one reason or another. Mainly, I think a lot of things, a lot of it is like structural. I think a lot of it is what I expected it to be. And I was excited to experience that. It's always curious to me to really go find the locals, live with them for a few weeks, even a few days and see how they really, really live. And it's always interesting comparing lifestyles, whether it's like showering with a bucket or not, like bucket flushing the toilet or not, you know, sitting in the middle of the jungle eating versus like sitting in the middle of your air conditioned kitchen eating. I just, I knew what I was getting into going to the Philippines. I'm kind of excited that I got to to experience it just because it's it's a simple life in a lot of places there if you have a, like a favorite memory or two that you want to share what would it be oh okay I think two favorite <laughs> two favorite memories because I tell one of them's a tradition one of them's kind of a funny story tradition this is kind of cool and I don't know how I don't know if this is still going on with COVID maybe maybe only in your close circle of friends but I, I met these three girls at a hostel, locals, local Filipinas. And they're like, we'll take you out to like the food market. And then we'll go to this like little bar that has dancing. I'm like totally down. Now I have new friends on the island of Cebu, which is one of the biggest, most populous islands there. And when we were at the bar, they got like a 40 ounce thing of beer and then a small little, maybe like an eight ounce glass. You each pour a little, one at a time, you pour a little into the glass and then you sip it. You take your sip. And then you share that glass and that beer bottle um, and everyone does the same thing. And it's pretty much for two reasons, to ensure that no one's poisoning the glass and two, that you're focused on like the conversation and being present rather than like on your phone. So I kind of love that in the Filipinos, like massive sharing culture, we share everything, right? So I thought that was a cool tradition. I'm like, oh my God, one 40 ounce bottle of beer, one glass, and we all take turns like drinking out of it. This was like like a month before yeah, yeah. you started. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I thought it made me feel like close to them. The fact that I was a complete stranger, even though I am like Philippine American, they're like, oh, she's one of us. I'm a complete stranger. They just literally picked me up at a hostel. But the fact that they're like, well, we trust her enough that we're going to include her in this little like drinking circle. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like when you, I, I definitely have shared drinks with people before. Like, I think it makes sense. It's cute. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I do like how it's like the focus is like, like be here and now. Don't be like on your phone, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and then the second story I have is about a cockroach. <laughs> um, so we were in my stepmom's hometown of Barobo, which is on Surigao del Norte. Um, and it's like Mindanao group of islands. So the south of the Philippines. And her hometown, it was just installing Wi-Fi when I was there. 
<laughs> so it was really like out in the provinces, like dirt roads everywhere. They were just opening up their first 7-Eleven a few months after I got there. Um, 7-Eleven's big in Asia. I'm not sure if you yeah. know that, but oh yeah, <laughs> massive. I've yeah, talked massive about it before. <laughs> I love 7-Eleven. When I was in Asia, I spent too much time. Like every time I saw one, I needed to see what snacks they had. The grilled cheese is amazing. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. So it was this town that was still developing really, but they had an amazing like river, a waterfall, a lagoon, a lake, like beautiful nature. Anyways, my dad and I were staying up late one night watching a movie and I was like, we're perpendicular couches to each other. And I saw like a cockroach run hopping across the tile floor and it was headed straight for the bedroom. And I was sharing, cause the house is tiny. I was sharing a bedroom with my dad and stepmom. They were in one bed. I was in the other, but I knew in my head, my luggage was wide open in that bedroom. And I'm like, see this cockroach hopping? And I screamed and I put my feet up. And my dad, like, when he, whenever he goes back to the Philippines, he reverts back to his, like, true Filipino roots, right? (laughs) So first thing he does, tells me, shut up, Leah, don't scream. (laughs) And then I'm like, oh, my God, Dad. And then, like, Spider-Man reflexes. I'm not even kidding. He sprints to the door and slams it shut. And the cockroach doesn't get in. And I'm like, oh my, first off, how did you get to that door so fast? It's like 15 feet away. (laughs) And second off, thank you. (laughs) And the reason he didn't want me to scream is, well, one, the house is sleeping. But two, if they were awake and I screamed, we have this word in Tagalog. The word is ma'arte. So it means kind of like, what's the technical term for it? It's kind of like fancy, snobby, like kind of too good for things. He didn't want me to sound so ma'arte by screaming and being like, oh my God, this cockroach on the ground. And so he, the lesson is basically pretend you're not phased by cockroaches when you go to another developing country. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know. Because I was that person <laughs> in Cambodia who went to the desk in the hostel and was like, I need you to come and kill this cockroach. <laughs> my friends and I, and this was like, we'd only been, we'd been in Cambodia for like two weeks. It was our first time in Asia. And we just like, we, we hadn't acclimatized yet to like the size of bugs in Southern climates. We do not get cockroaches that size. Like, in Ontario. They just don't exist. And so we were having a total meltdown. And thank God this like Cambodian guy was like, yeah, I'll help you. But he was laughing his head off the whole time at how ridiculous we were. And he's probably like, (laughs) if I clean this up, if I get rid of this, there's going to be 10 more waiting. So yeah, (laughs) exactly. I have been to the Netherlands now a couple times. Thankfully, it's not as far a flight as the Philippines, so I've been able to squeeze in a few more trips. I actually went when my school had student exchange in university. I ended up doing exchange in the Netherlands, which was amazing because it gave me like an excuse to live there and spend more time with family and like learn more about it. So like throughout the time that I've spent In Holland, I would say that my understanding of my own Dutchness has changed a little bit. I hadn't ever felt like I wasn't Canadian. And I also want to say, like, I think it's always been easy for me to feel Canadian because I'm white. And so no one has ever challenged me on whether or not I look or sound or behave Canadian. 
But experiencing the Netherlands like kind of affirmed my Canadianness in a way that it hadn't been affirmed before because it's kind of like being immersed in another country. I felt the differences more and I realized like these little things that I do, the shoes taking off thing, like that is a Canadian thing. And I noticed that in the Netherlands because a lot of people in Holland don't take their shoes off. And so moments like that, you're like, oh, I I am Canadian or like people making fun of me all the time for saying sorry. Like you just you feel it more when you're outside of it, I guess. With all that said, did your American identity, like, did your feelings about it change at all when you finally got to go to the Philippines? I just stuck out like a sore thumb in the Philippines. (laughs) Even though I literally look like a Filipino, first off, I'm like half a foot taller than everybody, men and women, and I'm about 40 pounds heavier too. And like, that's just to say because they're tight, like they're petite. They're so, everyone's like a small frame. I think Southeast Asia, a lot of Southeast Asians in general have like a more petite, like a smaller frame. But I just felt like, you know, I'm a normal like 5'5 five, five average height of the American woman, like mid-sized body. This is normal in in the States or Canada, right? But in the Philippines, I felt huge. <laughs> I felt huge and I felt tall. And when they would do things or say things, and because I don't know the language, a lot of it for me would be a blank stare. And so I'm like, wow, I am really not Filipino. I'm really not. Fr- I mean, I'm not from the Philippines. I'm like truly Filipino American. I have no idea what they're talking about. There were moments, yeah, where I was just like out of my element. And I'm like, uh, do I belong here? <laughs> you know? Yeah, I totally get that. So I guess like ultimately, I know that I'm not like truly Dutch. But the Netherlands is still like definitely part of my identity. So sometimes I think like about how identity isn't whole. And I kind of touched on this like in the beginning with that question about home. I really feel like it's kind of made up of all these separate pieces that come together from our cultural backgrounds and our family histories and et cetera to sort of make up this like puzzle of identity. So I'm curious how like you would factor your Filipino heritage into like your larger identity. I definitely consider myself like I very much use all the time Filipina American because people are always going to ask. They're always going to be like curious about where my dark hair and dark features come from. And like I mentioned earlier, I definitely try to research on my own now that I'm an adult and try. I purposely try to fit it into my culture, not just the taking the shoes off in the house, but more like, okay, what was our history like? Like, why do we have so much influence from the Japanese, the Spanish, the British, the Americans? Why have the Philippines been speaking English for 120 years. Like these are all things that I went to go and find out on my own. So I am proud of my culture. And now it's up to me. Like I go and support these bakery pop-ups. I go and support Filipino artists. Like now it's up to me to kind of solidify that like first generation Filipino or those those Filipino Americans and and make sure that like we are seen and heard and can feel comfortable being part of both cultures these days. So that's how it fits into my life. Like it's very much part of me, but it's being Filipino American is very different than being like Filipino in the Philippines. <laughs> and I think that's like true for basically like any anyone who's migrated essentially or is like a child of a migrant or grandchild even because you have those roots but like you're not part of that country really I don't know I don't know how I'm saying this but yeah you just grew up I mean you grew up in a different 
area completely. Like you still bring some of the traditions, but it's not going to be everything because now you're just like creating a mixture, right? Yeah. So one thing I wanted to bring up are these tours that have become like more popular, I would say. Like I've definitely noticed people talking about them more in recent years. And they're tours that bring people back to their homelands. I just wanted to look one up to give an example. The company Black and Abroad operates group tours to Ghana and Senegal. And one of the co-founders of the company, Eric Martin, said in an interview for Travel and Leisure that for people on the tours, quote, making a pilgrimage to these West African countries, seeing the sites, hearing the personal accounts of our African ancestors directly from their surviving descendants creates a cathartic connection. So I think especially for people who've been displaced, some through force, like through the slave trade, heritage tours can be really therapeutic. And the article quotes Brian Oliver, who's a Baltimore-based nonprofit director who visited the five African countries that matched his DNA. And he says that the trips have made him feel more in touch with himself and his culture than ever before. And now they have these tours, like I know they run them bringing Armenian Canadians back to Armenia. There's a lot of Armenians in Toronto, actually. Oh, really? Um, what? That's funny because LA is the Armenian capital of the US. Oh, no way. That makes sense. The Kardashians are there. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> but yeah, there's a lot of Armenians here, and they like run half the city. Like they're just yeah. al- also an amazing culture, but they're, I feel like they're, it's, there's like, there are w- a lot of wealthy Armenians out here too. There are. Yeah. So, yeah. Good for them. Too. Yeah. <laughs> no, I actually know this because I used to work for an organization that did a lot of work in the Armenian community. So yeah, you can take those tours. There's also, of course, like, I forget what it's called, but Israel, like, famously has a tour that brings people back. Yeah. What is it Birthright. called? Birthright. Birthright. Yeah. Literally the coolest program. I think, yeah. I feel like, honestly, every country should have that. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like it, it does, like, help people to feel, like, connected to a culture that they've been displaced from, which is really important. So yeah, did traveling to the Philippines make you feel more in touch with Filipino culture? Absolutely. And I was so curious about it before. That's why I finally just said, you know what, I'm just going to go do it without my parents, because who knows what tomorrow will bring. It could bring a pandemic. <laughs> and it did. <laughs> <laughs> it did. <laughs> um, unfortunately, yes. So it definitely did. And I think it's cool because I had one parent there. So I felt like I learned a lot from him. I met so many people while I was there and met my extended family and my stepmom's side that I'm lucky enough that I will always have family to go back to and like places to visit while I'm there. And I just, I'm, I want to get to a point where the Philippines is like an annual trip for me. Oh, that's wonderful. I hope you do get to. I hope one day you have a house there and I you know. spend six months <laughs> a year there. <laughs> that would be the life. But like you, okay, you mentioned earlier that your who was it your parents or your grandparents gave up their dutch citizenship when they came here well in the philippines you can't buy property unless you have a passport and the only way that i can get a passport is if my parents were still citizens when i was born and they were not so now i'm like okay now i got to try to find whatever loopholes or get lawyers involved so I can like get help. But eventually, yes, I'd love to get like a passport and buy property there. I can't buy land there. I could buy property. Right, 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 right. Yeah, it's complicated like going in and getting 
that document like after the fact because the same thing happened in our family obviously like at one point I was like can I get a Dutch passport and um, I did look into it and they actually won't issue passports unless you give up the one you're currently holding. Oh, you're kidding. So I would have to, like, I have the paperwork to do it, but obviously I don't want to give up my Canadian citizenship. My partner actually is pursuing getting his Italian passport because Italy will allow you to hold dual, but it's literally years. Like he has been on a waiting list for years and there's like lawyers involved. It's wild how complicated it is. Like I think it'll probably be like five more years before he actually gets the passport. (laughs) Why do you think traveling home to your country of heritage was so important for you? And like, why do you think it's important for children of immigrants in general? I just think that if we don't pass these traditions on and we don't try to keep your motherland alive through future generations, it can all be lost, to be honest. And like I said earlier, I feel like it's almost becoming lost on me. That's why I'm trying so hard as an adult to stay attached to it and stay open-minded and make sure to try to infuse it into myself and my niece and if I have kids and whatnot. And I think it's it's a it's great for an understanding of the world and seeing how vastly different maybe a Southeast Asian country and a North American country are from one another, right? And when we understand those cultures, we understand each other as human beings and it's we have a more open-minded view of how the world works and how these differences are acceptable and appreciated and celebrated. I wish I could have gone while I was younger, you know, but I had to make do with going <laughs> going at 30 plus years old. There's such beauty in like the way that the world is sort of like blending. I know a lot of people don't like it, but I just think it's like really beautiful if we can like live like you living in America, being able to like bring this Filipino culture like into your life there and sharing it with like other people that you know, like I'm learning a lot right now chatting with you. And I'm sure other people that you know, learn chatting from you. And it's just kind of nice, like that we can all share what we know about these homelands that we originally came from. It's something that I like really love talking to people about. So before we let you go, do you want to share with everyone where they can find you? Yeah, thank you so much, Erin, for having me on. This was a lot of fun and also brought back amazing memories. And I felt like I learned a lot from you. So (laughs) thank you for having me. Um, But anyways, Leah, LA in flight on every social media platform you can think of. I'm also the co-host of the Ticket to Anywhere podcast where we're helping you adventure from anywhere. So you can find us on any podcast platform. And we are also on YouTube. Thanks for listening to the show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to share it with a fellow traveler. Make sure you're following us on your favorite podcast app. And if you're feeling extra generous, you can leave us a five-star review or support us on Patreon. Alpaca My Bags is written and hosted by me, Erin Hines, and it's produced and edited by Katie Lore in Canada's Toronto area. If you want to reach out to us, check the show notes for all the info you need. I'll see you in two weeks, but in the meantime, I hope you get to alpaca your bag safely and soon.